Well, I'm really glad you're here today, and if it's your first time, thanks so much for coming. You're going to get an inside look or an inside peek uh, behind the curtain at who we are and why we do what we do today, and um, so I'm, I'm really glad you couldn't have picked a better day to come to kind of get an understanding of what matters so much to us, and I just want you all to know I have one goal today and one goal only, and you don't have to guess it. I'm going to tell you what it is right up front. My goal is this, for you to see the world and more specifically for you to see your world differently. That's my goal. I hope when you walk out of here today, you see the world and you see your world a little bit differently. Uh, and the reason I say that is because all of us have a unique way that we look at the world. You, we don't necessarily uh, consciously choose this, but we all have a lens, if you will, through which we see people and through which we see the world. For instance, some of you, uh, politics is a really big deal to you, or you know people who politics is a really big deal. And you see the world through the lens of politics. It's just how you, you see people that way. It's just the way you think of people. Anytime you interact with somebody, you tend to put people in one of two buckets, Republican bucket or you know, Democrat bucket. It goes in, everybody goes into one of those two categories. And this is what's interesting. Once you figure out if politics is important to you, once you figure out if a person is Republican or Democrat, then you begin to think about them differently and you begin to approach them differently and you begin to interact with them differently based on what bucket they're in. For others of you, you know, you, you're like me. You could care less about politics. You don't, you know, you don't really get into all that. And all of you who care about politics can't understand. You don't know what bucket to put us in. It's just weird to you, right? But, but there are a lot of us who don't really care that much. So for those of us who don't care, it's just a different bucket. But we've got our own buckets. For some of us, it's, uh, it's a bucket of, well, people who uh, live the way we do and kind of uh, aspire to the same values or lifestyle we do and those who don't, and we kind of put people in buckets based on that. Uh, some people use race as buckets, and they put people in buckets based on race. Some people, it's economics, it's rich, it's poor, it's people who have more than you, it's people who don't have as much as you, and you tend to filter everything through the lens of, uh, is this one of those people that's in this bucket or one of those people that's in this bucket? For some of you, you, you think of things in terms of blue collar and white collar. Um, what's interesting to me... that I've always been fascinated by this. And if you didn't grow up around here, you, you have seen this, but you don't get it at all. But for those of you who grew up here in this community, here's one of the buckets or one of the sets of buckets that you use. There's no way you can keep from using it. You, you put people in a Tigers or Lakers bucket. You can't help but do it, can you? It's like that's, that's one of the things that if you don't know, you're going to find out pretty quick. Where'd you go to school? You know, you're a Tiger or you're a Laker. And then those of us who, you know, didn't go to either one of those schools, you're like, I don't know, what are you doing in our county? We don't know why you're here. You know, it's because it's, you just grew up, everything was Tiger Laker. Tiger Laker was such a big deal. So again, it's not a, not a bad thing. It's just a, a thing, right? You know, you just put people into buckets. And I always know I'm talking to one of you. Uh, because when I'm talking to somebody who grew up here and this idea, you know, that we do a four Callaway, when that comes up, um, anybody who grew up a Murray Tiger says, mm, I, I can't be a part of that. I can't do that. And I have to explain it's not the school. You know, your county really is named Callaway. You, you, you know, so anyway, it's just, I get it. I get it. You just put people in buckets based on that. All of us, I'm telling you, this is not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing, okay? All of us have buckets that we tend or categories that we tend to put, put people in. And the reason it's important that you at least are aware and understand how you see the world and the buckets that you use, the reason it's so important is because of this. Because how you see people determines how you treat people. Isn't that true? How you see people determines how you treat people. Now, again, this isn't a good thing or a bad thing. This is just a thing. This is just human nature. It's always been true for humans. All of us tend to put people into buckets, and the way you choose to see people is going to always influence the way that you treat them. 
This has been true all of human history. And if you go back and you begin to read some of the uh, gospel accounts of Jesus' life, you will discover that in the first century Middle East, they had some buckets they put people in, just like we all do. What was interesting is in Israel, where Jesus lived, they had some very specific, very unique buckets, the Jewish people did, that they put people in. The religious leaders and the, the people who practiced Judaism, and they were devout religious people, they had some buckets. They had a set of buckets, two different buckets, and everybody they interacted with, and when you begin to read the accounts of Jesus' life through this lens, you see, oh yeah, they did this all the time. They would, everybody they met, they would put into one of two buckets, and depending on what bucket you ended up in, it determined how you got treated by them. And then Jesus comes along, and he shows up in you know, Israel there in the first century, and he begins to challenge the prevailing or the uh, adopted, the norms in terms of the buckets that people used in Israel. He began to challenge what all of these religious Jewish people did when it came to putting people in buckets, and it created so much conflict. It created so much turmoil. It's one of the things that eventually got him killed. Now, you might assume that Jesus showed up and the way he challenged it was by saying to them, you shouldn't put people in buckets. Everybody matters. You shouldn't put people in buckets. You know. But he didn't do that. Jesus actually had his own set of buckets that he put people into. They were just so different from these religious leaders. They were just so different from these Jewish people who you know, were so serious about the religion, this Judaism. They were just so different that they clashed. It wasn't he didn't have any buckets. He just had a very different set of buckets. And so the question is, what was it about these buckets or categories Jesus used that all of these religious Jewish people found so offensive. Why was it so offensive to them that they wouldn't, this is primarily what drove it, that they would eventually get to the point that they decided we are going to have him killed? What would cause them to do that? Well, if you read the accounts of Jesus' life, you will find that often you see this clash between these two worldviews or between the two different ways that Jesus and Jewish religious people saw the world. And when their buckets clashed, when their buckets collided, it created a lot of tension and a lot of drama. One of the examples of this, it's my personal favorite, is found in Luke 15. Luke was not one of Jesus' disciples. He began following Jesus after the resurrection. But Luke was one of these guys that wasn't just going to take somebody's word for it. So he went and he investigated. He talked to witnesses. He checked out everything, all these stories that he had heard about Jesus. And then he wrote an account based on his investigation. And it's one of the gospel accounts that we call the Gospel of Luke. And in this, Luke tells us about one of these moments where Jesus and these religious Jewish people tended to clash. And Jesus explains in an extraordinarily powerful way how the way you see people will always determine the way you treat people. So I want to read this to you. I want us to look at it for just a few minutes this morning, and then I want to talk about how it applies to us. So here's how Luke begins in Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and the sinners, he says, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And I just hit pause for a second because this was one of their buckets, the, the religious people in uh, Israel. They had a bucket that was for all tax collectors and sinners, and tax collectors and sinners were pretty much anyone who didn't devoutly take Judaism seriously, anyone who didn't follow the rules, anyone who didn't go through all the hoops, anyone who didn't practice their religion as strictly as these religious people thought they ought to practice. So they just took, you know, if you're not one of us, then you're going in this bucket of tax collectors and sinners. And what's interesting is that these religious people in Israel, they refused to eat with anyone in this bucket. They refused to go into the home of anyone in this bucket. They refused to, you know, spend a weekend, go on trips with anyone in this bucket. 
Those people were completely separated. Those people were completely dismissed. It was, no, that's, you know, you're not doing what you ought to be doing, and so we're not going to have anything to do with you. And they assumed, they assumed, well, because we see you that way, God must see you that way too. And so it, in a lot of respects, it just confirmed or it approved for them this disdain for and this distance from all these people in this tax collector and sinner bucket. So Luke says, they're watching, these religious people are watching Jesus, and he's got all these people in this bucket that they're like, no, no, they, sh- they would never darken the doors of a church. They, you shouldn't be anywhere near them, Jesus. And yet he is, and it begins to create some tension. So Luke goes on, he says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, now we have the people in the other bucket, all the people who seemed religious, all the people who practiced Judaism and showed up at the temple and made their sacrifices and followed all the laws and didn't work on the Sabbath and on and on and on. The people who did all of that, they got their own bucket. So they had two different buckets, religious irreligious. People who we think God loves because look how good they are and people who because of their behaviors God must disdain because we certainly disdain them. So these religious people are watching. They're seeing Jesus hang out with people Jesus shouldn't be hanging out with. And Luke says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. I love that word. Nobody ever mutters something positive. Have you noticed that? You just know if something, we don't even use that word much anymore, but you just know if you see somebody muttering, it can't be good. So they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now, this is what's interesting. This was their way of saying, there is no way Jesus can be who he claims to be. There's no way he can be God. Because God would never, we don't, and we're certain God wouldn't. God would never, God would never sit down and eat with people, that unholy. God would never go into the homes of people, that unrighteous. God would never spend a weekend with people who are that different than him. So there's no way Jesus can be who he claims to be because he's not behaving towards those people the way we would. He's not treating those people the way we assume God would treat those people. He doesn't see them the way that we're certain God must see them. And so Jesus is hearing this. He's seeing all this tension. And so he does something extraordinarily powerful. He tells three different stories. And I'm telling you, the thing I love about these stories is that they have stood the test of time. 2,000 years later, these stories still challenge religious people today. These stories still flip everything that religious people tend to think on its head. But these three stories, in a very, very compelling way, help us to see how Jesus sees the world differently. So what I want to do is I want to read you the first story. I hope this intrigues you enough you'll go home and you'll read the other two for yourselves because I think the stories just keep getting better as Jesus tells them. But all three stories have the exact same point. So I want to read you this first one, and then we're going to learn from this exactly how Jesus saw and continues to see our world. So here's how the story goes. Then Jesus told them this parable. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he's not done because this is a big deal. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Jesus says, okay, imagine someone had a hundred sheep. Wouldn't this be how they acted if they lost one of them. It would be such a big deal, they would drop everything to find that sheep. And the minute they found the sheep, it'd be such a big deal, they wouldn't just go on about their business. They'd throw a party to celebrate because something of extraordinary value has been lost and is now found. Now, we read that, and it seems a little bit out of left field because most of us aren't shepherds today. 
Jesus' audience heard that, and they all thought, well, yeah, what's the point? Because they had all seen this happen. I mean, shepherding, it was a common occupation in the first century. So this was not new information to them. This was, well, yeah, well, yeah, of course. I mean, it just seemed common sense to them. And they're thinking, what does this have to do with the fact that, you know, you're hanging out with people in this bucket, and we think you ought to be just hanging out with people in this bucket. Like, we don't get it. We don't understand. And this is where Jesus makes his point so powerfully. He says, I tell you that in the same way, in the same way a shepherd will drop everything to go find one lost sheep, and then he'll celebrate when he finds it. In the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And when Jesus got done saying this, I'm reading between the lines, but I think there was just stunned silence because no one listening to him had ever heard this before. This is not how they thought. They were convinced people in the tax collector center bucket, people in the I'm religious bucket, they were all convinced that God was for religious people and against irreligious people. They were all convinced that God was for righteous people and against sinners. It's the message they had been told their entire lives. It's the way their religion, Judaism, worked. And in their case, it's the way their entire country operated. It was the culture of their country that God clearly loves and favors these people and wants nothing to do with these and here these tax collectors and sinners are sitting there going, we can't believe it's true. You're telling me, you're telling me, Jesus, that if one of us figures it out, if one of us gets a relationship with our Heavenly Father, you're telling me he's more excited over that than all of these religious people doing all the right things they should be doing. And Jesus says, yep, the script is flipped completely from what you think is true. And the religious folks are going, it can't be right. Because they've been convinced their entire lives that they're God's favorites. They've been convinced their entire lives that, well, God loves them and blesses them because look at how well they behave and look at how good they are. Jesus says, nope, you missed it. You missed it because you see the world the wrong way. You see the world in a way that justifies you condoning your self-righteousness and judging anyone who doesn't live or act like you. Jesus says, I don't see the world that way. Your heavenly Father doesn't see the world that way. If you want to know how Jesus sees the world, here's what he was telling us. Jesus sees the world as lost or found. That's it. When he looks down at the world today, he puts people in one of two buckets. You're either lost or you're found. Not lost or found directionally. Not lost in the sense of, well, I don't know where I'm going. Not lost even in the sense of, well, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, and I don't know what major I should have, or I don't know what career, I don't know what decision to make here. I'm just lost with these kids. I don't know what to do with these kids. I can't figure out how to parent them. He's not talking about lost that way. He's talking about being lost relationally. So every person Jesus sees is a person that he categorizes as either you are found relationally or you are lost relationally. You either have discovered forgiveness and a relationship with the God who created you, or you have yet to find it. You're either at home, a part of his family, or you're lost and you're wondering, and you've yet to discover this extraordinary invitation God gives you to be a son or a daughter of his. This is how Jesus 
saw the world. And it's why he did everything that he did. See, when you begin to see the world this way, it changes the sense of urgency you have and it changes the sense of value you place on all the people around you. No longer are you seeing the world and looking in the eyes of people who agree with you or don't agree with you, who behave like you or don't behave like you. Now you're looking in the eyes of people who have a relationship with their Heavenly Father and those who have yet to figure out that He loves them that much. And the urgency that Jesus felt to help people who were lost, who had drifted away, who'd wandered away from home to come back, the urgency He felt forced Him to get off the sidelines It compelled him to leave heaven and come to earth and die and rise again to pay for our sins. Simply because of how he saw the world. How you see people determines how you treat people because Jesus saw people this way. He treated people very, very differently. Very, very differently. Now, here's the thing about this that just I'm still amazed by after all these years. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're trying to figure out what you believe or, you know, you've had bad church experiences and they saw you in a way that led them to treat you in a way that was not very respectful or not very loving or not very kind and you just swore it off. Like, I get that. I really do. Like, if you're not a Christian or you're not really into church, you have some very valid reasons why you're not. I have no doubt about that. However, if I were given the power to be able to snap my fingers and make one thing happen in your life, just one thing, I'll tell you what it would be. I would not snap my fingers and make you be a Christian. That's not what I would do. I would snap my fingers just so you could see how Jesus sees you. Because I'm convinced if you could see how Jesus sees you, it would change everything for you. See, and when you read the Gospels, what you discover is people who were nothing like Jesus, they liked him. And he liked them back. It's so strange. You were looking at people in this tax collector center bucket. I mean, they, they never darken the doors of a church. You name the behaviors, you name the sins, they, they were pros at them. And yet the most unholy, unrighteous, ungodly people actually were attracted to, wanted to spend time with, and found irresistible the most holy, godly, righteous person who's ever walked on the earth. And what's even more stunning to me is he liked them back and wanted to spend time with them. Matter of fact, he spent more time with them than he did the people in the religious bucket. It's what the religious people could not understand. But for Jesus, it made perfect sense. Because he saw the world differently. He saw people as lost or found. People who have a relationship with their Heavenly Father, people who are at home, and people who have drifted away, wandered away. And so he loved being with these people. Their behavior didn't offend him. He loved being with these people, and their sins did not repel him. And they loved being with him. If I could just snap my fingers and help you to see one thing, it would be to see that. Because I am convinced, if you could see Jesus the way those people saw Jesus, and if you could see how he saw you the way he saw them, it would change the way you viewed him forever. Nobody would have to convince you to be a Christian. Like, that works anyway. But nobody would have to convince you to follow Jesus. You would do what they did. You would naturally want to follow someone who respected you and loved you that much. But here's the thing that's so puzzling about that. Here we are 2,000 years later, and the very people who claim to follow the one who loved to spend time with those people, the very people who claim to follow the one who cared for those people and saw those people in that way, well, now we're the exact opposite. We're as resistible as it comes. 
2,000 years later, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, there are a lot of people who are followers that you don't want anything to do with and you don't want to be around. When you are in their midst, you feel judged. When you are in their midst, you feel less than. When you're in their midst, you feel not good enough. And that's not how it was in the first century. So what's happened? How could people who are nothing like Jesus like Jesus and he liked them back? And yet now people who are nothing like Jesus don't want anything to do with followers of Jesus and vice versa. Well, it's because too many of us who follow Jesus see the world the wrong way. That's all there is to it. We just see the world the wrong way. We don't see the world the way Jesus saw the world. We see the world as people who believe like us and those who don't. People who behave in the way that we think is appropriate and those who don't. People who are right, we're always in the right bucket, and those who are wrong. We see the world very differently. We see the world as people who are making it you know, better and uh, we're going to get back to what really matters and people who are trying to take our culture right down the toilet. We just put people in totally different buckets. And how you see people determines how you treat people. And unless we have the same buckets as Jesus, we'll never treat the people that are nothing like Jesus the way Jesus treated them. We'll never care about them the same way. We'll never love them the same way. We'll never respect and value them the same way. How you see people determines how you treat people. So, here's the question I want to ask you. Who do you see? Who do you see? Because you have some buckets. Don't say you don't. You do. You may not have consciously identified them before, but you have some buckets. Whenever you see people, you drop them into certain buckets. What are your buckets? How do you see people? And how is it impacting the way that you treat people? Now, I want to come back to this question in just a minute. But first, let me give you a little history. So 13 years ago, we started this church, seven of us. Most of you weren't here. We could have used your help, but I'm glad you got here later, at least. There were only seven of us starting this church, okay? And there was only one reason we decided to start the church. Because we wanted to see if we could create a church that saw people the way Jesus saw people. Because we didn't think, and I don't mean this to be a criticism, we just didn't feel like most of the churches that we knew saw people the way Jesus did. So we thought, is it possible to create a church that sees people the way Jesus sees people? Not the kind of church that is designed for all the people in the religious church bucket. We did not want to create a church for all the good Christian people to come and sit and, you know, we're going to serve, be served and we're going to be comfortable and people are going to take care of all of our needs and we're going to talk about how great we are and how bad all the people out there are and what, all the problems in the world, what's their fault. And if they just believe like us and if they just straighten their lives out and live a little better, you know, then it would, everything would be fixed. No, we didn't want to create a church like that. There were plenty of those. We weren't interested in that at all. But we did think that maybe if we could create a different kind of church, maybe if we could create the kind of church that actually saw and valued people the way Jesus did, it might change everything. And by that I mean this. We thought it was possible to create the kind of church where all the people in the irreligious bucket, all the people in the not going to go to church, don't want anything to do with it, don't believe like that bucket could come. And they would be loved so well and served so well and treated with such respect that they would actually want to come back even though they didn't believe what we believed. We thought maybe just maybe it's possible to do that. Maybe we can create a place where people who've had bad experiences could come and they could realize, wait a minute, 
The God that I'm resisting is actually not who God is. I'm just resisting a bad version of God that I was presented in a church or I was presented by Christians one time. We wanted to create the kind of place where people who had questions and doubts could come and they didn't have to hide them. And if they voiced them, they certainly weren't looked at like, why don't you just have more faith? What's wrong with you? No, we thought we could create the kind of place where it was safe for them to ask their questions and their doubts, and they knew they can belong even if they never get beyond those doubts, that they, were a, that they could be a part, that they could feel at home, that they could be included, that they would be loved and respected whether they believed like us or not. So 13 years ago, that's what the seven of us tried to do. And over the last 13 years, that is all we've been trying to do. Sunday after Sunday, week after week, week after week, week after week. And we get it wrong plenty of times. We still don't get it right all the time. But that's our goal. And fortunately, over the last 13 years, God has been very, very gracious to us in allowing us to create a place that gets it right more than we get it wrong. And as a result of that, we have seen a lot of success in connecting with people and helping them begin or continue in a growing relationship with Jesus. For many of you, this is your story. You get this because it was you. You walked in those doors not wanting anything to do with it, or you walked in those doors thinking, I I don't even think I'm going to agree. You walked in those doors going, I'm going to give it one more shot. And God used the people who served you. God used the experience. God used the content and the approach to help you understand, wait a minute, maybe I do have a Father in Heaven who loves me and is for me. And that has completely changed your life. For some of you, you were Christians. But you didn't know what your purpose in life was. You didn't really think it was possible to have a relationship with God that was personal. And over the course of time as you have been here, you have discovered that. And it's changed how you view your Heavenly Father, and it's changed how you view and treat people. It's made all the difference in the world. And we are so incredibly grateful for all of that. I mean, it's, it, it's way beyond what we could have done on our own. So over the course of 13 years, we've had this interesting pattern. If you haven't been around here, you don't understand or recognize this maybe, but the interesting pattern has been this. We would grow, and then we'd have to change, and we would grow, and we'd have to change, and we'd grow, and we'd have to change because we would grow, and then it was, okay, we can't meet here anymore. This is too small. Let's go somewhere else, and then it was grow, and okay, we're out of room again. Let's add another service, and then it was grow, and let's get a bigger room for the services, and then it was grow, and oh my goodness, the kids are out of control. Let's move them around, get a bigger space for that, and you know, we just grow and change, grow and change, and you know, then a year and a half ago, it was another grow and change moment where it's like, we've got to have more space. Let's move over to this facility. And so we did. And then we moved over here and guess what happened? Not what we expected. We grew and we grew and we grew really, really fast. And we've kept growing really, really fast. And so we're at the point, and this is for those of you who are journey folks. And if you're not, just lean in here and listen, but you're not obligated to do anything. But for those of us who are journey folks, we're at another one of those crucial points. We're at a point where we've grown and we've got to change. If we don't change, then we're not going to continue to have a space for more people to come. Um, so we've been having a lot of conversations. Our staff, our, the volunteer leaders in our church, our board, we've been having conversations for a few months now about, okay, what do we do about this space thing? Now, you at this service are going, what space thing? This is perfect, you know? That's because you come early. Thank you so much for coming early. You're my favorite crowd. Don't tell the other one, but you're my favorite crowd because you come early, because you help solve our space problem a little bit for a while. But here's what's happening at the 1030 service that you don't see and you don't know. 
First of all, our kids' environments, both our preschool and our elementary, are absolutely cram-packed. Cram-packed to the point that they can't keep putting kids in some of those environments. Cram-packed to the point that they, the, the growth is just capped. There's just not room. So we've tried a lot of things, and everything we've tried that's opened up a little bit of space is just the space is just filled back up. It's a great problem to have, but we're to the point where we just don't have any more simple solutions to try. Not only that, uh, believe it or not, we're having some adult space issues uh, because this gets pretty packed in the 1030 service to the point that when the music starts, uh, this is just like most of you, and it's fine, but everybody shows up five minutes late, right? So... So the music starts and everybody's standing and then all these people show up and they start trying to find seats and they can't hardly find seats. And then we're trying to help them find and it's just, it's getting pretty crowded. And then, believe it or not, there's some weekends where we we're even having parking issues at that point. A few weeks ago, I was told, and I don't know who this was, but I was told that there were some families who had to park all the way down in the Stewart Stadium parking lot, the football parking lot down at the bottom, and walk all the way up the hill with their kids. I don't know who that was, but I owe them big time. Thank you, whoever that was, because that's not a fun walk. So we're running into a lot of that, and we've, again, we've tried all the short-term solutions we can try, and every time we open up a little bit of space, it just creates more. Now, you were thinking, well, why don't some of those people just come to this service, and it'll be fine? I get that, but one of the things that you need to know is uh, not everyone likes to get up this early. I know it's shocking to you, but not everyone does. There's actually a window of time, and I don't want to bore you with this, but there's a window of time that those of us who work in churches know, we call it the optimal time, okay, for people to attend, and it's somewhere in the 10 to 11 range, and maybe you can push it up to 930, okay, but somewhere in there, those are optimal times, and so there's a little rule. You have to create empty seats at optimal times, empty seats at optimal times, and we are just out of empty seats and space at our optimal times. So we've been talking about what to do about that. And there are really only two options. Option one is to say, well, tough. Well, tough. You know, you just have to deal with it. But that's never been an option for us, and it's never going to be an option for us, because as hard as it is to continue to create space, uh, we want to see the world the way Jesus sees the world. If we saw the world differently, it would cause us to look at people and just be like, deal with the space issues or go somewhere else. But that's not how we see the world. So we don't really have that option, which then leads us to figuring out, well, what are we going to do? So I want to tell you what we're going to do. And then for those of you who are part of our church, I want to tell you what I need you to do. There are two things I'm going to need you to do, okay? So let me tell you the first thing. Um, starting January 27th, we're going to try doing three services at 8, 9.30, and 11, okay? We're going to try it for about five weeks. Now, if you haven't been around here long, you just need to know we experiment with stuff all the time. So we have no problem trying this. If it doesn't work, we'll just change it and go and try something else. So we're going to try it starting January 27th at 8, 9.30, and 11. Some of you are going, why did you pick those times, and how is that going to work? I can just promise you I'm not going to give you the details. You can ask me personally. But we researched this for about three months. And we have a lot of data that leads us to believe these are the optimal times to do three services, and it will work. So 8, 9, 30, and 11. I know, I know, that causes you to change your schedule. I get that. Thanks for doing it, because we've got to, okay? So 8, 9, 30, and 11. Now, the other thing you may be wondering is, why in the world are you waiting until January 27th to do this if we're having space problems now? 
Well, I'm glad you asked, because here's why. We can only do this if we have a hundred of you who are not currently serving begin serving here. This is why we can't do it right now. We needed to do it this fall. We couldn't do it this fall, because it'll take about a hundred additional volunteers to what we currently have in order uh, to serve here, or in order to get this third service off the ground. So, when you came in today, you got a small little card, and here's what I want to ask you to do. Two things. First of all, I want to talk to those of you who currently serve here, okay? And if you don't serve here, pay attention. This will be important for you to know. First of all, the reason we have all the space problems we have is because those of you who serve here do such a great job. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. And if you don't serve here, you may not know this, but we don't ask people to serve until they go to the grave. We ask people to commit to serve for a year. That's it. We help you find a spot that you're going to love with people you're going to enjoy working with. We train you on what to do. We are very careful to honor your time and make sure the time you give uh, leads to maximum contribution. And then we ask you to serve for a year. And at the end of the year, if you need to get out, you can get out. So I'm giving this pitch a little earlier than we usually do. But for those of you who are currently serving here, I want to, number one, say thank you. It's absolutely incredible what you do. And number two, I'm telling you, we need you for another year, so please re-up, okay? Please re-up. You can go to your team leaders and you can negotiate for whatever you can get out of them, but re-up, all right? We need you for another year, and I want to ask you to go ahead and fill out that card you have if you currently serve here. We are not assuming you're going to keep serving, so fill out that card and then mark whatever team you serve on and let us know you're re-upping. Again, I'm asking you a little earlier. I'm going to ask you to go ahead now and let us know you're going to serve all of 2019, okay? All of 2019 to December 2019. So that's the first thing. Now, for those of you who are not currently serving here, I know you have a lot of reasons why. We'll talk about that in a minute. I know you have a lot of reasons why, but I'm just telling you, the only way we can create a place and a space for people not yet here, your friends and my friends, is if 100 of you, that's, this is a tall order, but 100 of you decide to get involved serving here. So I want to ask you to fill out that card. And if you know where you want to serve, mark a box. If you're not sure, we'll help you find a place. We'll be happy to do that. I know you have a lot of reasons, and they're probably very good reasons why you haven't gotten involved here. You're busy, you're not here every weekend, on and on and on. you got a lot of good reasons. I understand that. We'll do our best to work around that, but here's what I'm asking you to do, so pay attention. I have no problem asking you to serve in spite of the sacrifice it will require for you to do it. I know it will require sacrifice. I'm asking you to do it anyway because you are here because of the volunteers who are just as busy as you, they got just as many complicated things going on in their life as you, but they sacrificed to serve you when you came here. And I'm asking you to do that for the people who are not yet here. I'm not asking you to do it for me just so we can do three services. Believe me, this is a sacrifice for everybody, okay? There's no pastor who wakes up and dreams of one day having a church where he gets to preach three times every Sunday morning. Nobody does that, okay? So it's a sacrifice for everybody, but it's a sacrifice worth making if you see the world the way Jesus sees the world. It's a sacrifice worth making if you have some friends like I have some friends who aren't here yet, but you want them to be here, and you want them to know God's for them, and you want them to experience his forgiveness. 
then you do whatever it takes to create a place and a space for them. So I'm going to ask you to do it. And this is not trying to guilt you. This is just being upfront with you. If we can't get 100, we don't do three services. We're not going to ask our current volunteers to, you know, stay extra and serve longer and make it happen. A hundred of you have to step up or we're out of space and we stay out of space. So it is your call. I'm doing all I can do. Our volunteers are doing what they can do. We've got a 13-year history, not just myself, but a lot of you, of sacrificing your time and your money to make this possible. So I'm asking you to join us in doing it and creating a place and a space for the next wave of people. So let me come back to this question and ask you this again. Who do you see? Who do you see? Not just buckets. Here's what I want you to think about. Who are the people that God's placed in your life that maybe you've never seen it or thought of it this way before? Matter of fact, they may be people who have annoyed you. They may be people who you have just rolled your eyes and why can't they get their act together and what's wrong with them and they're just wrecking their life and they're, you know. But maybe God's put them in, into your life for one reason. So you could see them the way Jesus sees them and you could help them see how Jesus sees them. Maybe they're in your life because he wants to use you in some way to help them walk in these doors and experience God's grace and love and forgiveness. Not just through what they hear, but through what they experience by those of you who volunteer and serve them. See, I think this is personal for all of us. So I want you to think about the name of that person. That's why you serve. That's why I serve. That's why we do what we do. So fill out that card, and then in a moment when I dismiss us, guest services people will be at the top of the stairs. You can just drop that card in. But there's one other thing we're going to do. When you leave, when you exit the building at the doors, they're going to hand you another card, okay? We're carding you out today, but hang with me. There's a reason. They're going to hand you another card. And we want you to take that card home. Here's what it says. On one side of it, it says, because I see the world differently, someone may be changed eternally. I want you to remember that. Because that's what we've watched happen here for 13 years. And then on the other side of that card, it says, I'm creating a space for, and there's a blank. And that person that came to your mind, that face that popped in your head when I asked you, Who's God put in your life? Who do you see? Who needs to walk in these doors in the next year? Who do we need to create a space for? That person, I want you to write their name on it, on that card. And then you just keep that card. You stick it somewhere where you're going to see it, and you remember to pray for that person, but you also remember, that's why I'm serving. That's why I'm going to sacrifice some of my time, and that's why I'm going to take this step of faith. I don't feel like i got anything to offer, but I'm going to do it and trust that God will do something with the time I give. That's why I'm sacrificing for that person and for the people that all the rest of us have in our lives as well. So I want to ask you to step up, as you always have, to get involved. And let's create a place and a space for people who are lost relationally from their Heavenly Father. Now, one other thing that some of you may be asking that's come up to me quite a bit as we talk through this. The other question that's been asking me as we've talked about these space problems is, well, is, is there any, 
you know, point at which we're going to consider getting a building as a church? I've been asked that question more than anything else over 13 years. You can imagine. You know, will you ever get a building? Will you ever get a building? Here's been my answer for 13 years. It has not changed. When we can reach more people with a building than we can without a building, we'll get a building. Because for us, the goal has never been to have some building. That's not like a destination. You cross the finish line. You get a certificate. You're an official church now. Congratulations. You're actually a church. You have a building. That's, I don't know. Maybe somebody will give us that certificate, but we could care less. It doesn't, that's not true. We don't, we don't care about a building for that sake. It's just a tool. It's no different than sound equipment or screens or you know, stuff in the kids' environment. It's just a tool to create a place for people. And so we've always said if we reach a point where we can connect with more people in our community with a building than without, that's the moment we'll do it. Well, because we're in the biggest building in our community and we're running into space problems, we're getting to that point. So I just wanted to give you a heads up that we have been and continue to look for some land that may help us to take that step in the future. We have found a piece about three minutes from here on the north side of town uh, that is an option we're exploring. I don't know if it'll happen yet, and I can't tell you exactly where it is yet, but as soon as I can, I will. You know, I'm just, I'll just soon be transparent with you. So as soon as I can tell you where it is, I will. Uh, I don't know if it'll work out or not, but we're looking into it. And for all of us, myself included, who go, oh, is that going to change who we are and how we are? I just want to promise you, I'm not giving you any details now, I'll tell you later, but just want to promise you, it will not change who we are in a negative way because we're not going to build a building for ourselves. We're going to build a building for this community. We're going to build a building that serves this community whenever we do it one day. And we're going to continue to be for Callaway like we have always been for Callaway. It is not about us, it has never been about us, and it will never be about us. But between now and then, whenever then is, don't ask me when we're going to have it. I have no idea, okay? Don't ask me. If you ask me when are we going to build that building, I'm going to tell you 2050. That is my answer. Then you'll be pleasantly surprised if we get it before we're all dead. So, I don't know when. Here's what I know. I know right now God has given us an extraordinary opportunity. Listen, this, we're a little church that's making an impact way bigger than we should be making. And we're, it's not normal to see God sending people the way he's sending people here. He's giving us an extraordinary opportunity to steward a chance to point people to him and to help people know God is for them. To help people know there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who comes back home than over 99 people who've already got it figured out. And we just need to steward this opportunity right now well. So if you're not serving, get involved. If you are serving, please keep serving. Let's give back. And let's create a place and a space for your friends and my friends who aren't yet here. But we hope over the next year they'll walk through these doors. Let me pray for us. Father, as I said, thank you so much for um, giving us this incredible opportunity and responsibility to point people towards you, to help people see who you are, and how you feel about them. It's, it's not something we take for granted. And uh, these space issues we have, man, they're... It's an extraordinary problem to have. And we're confident, as you always have, that you'll keep providing. I'm confident that the people, the hundred 
folks that need to step up and get involved serving here, they're going to do it. You've already sent us the people we need to continue to create a place and space for the next wave of people who are coming. So thank you for that. But thank you most of all for seeing us the way you see us, for wanting a relationship with us. For those who are here who are just trying to figure out what that means, I hope they walk out of here today knowing one thing, and that is how much they matter to you. That they mattered so much, Jesus, you're willing to sacrifice your life for them. And I hope they see that they're sitting among a group of people who they matter that much to us too. We're willing to sacrifice our time, our money, whatever we need to, um, to create a place that they love to experience so that they can experience a growing relationship with you. So thanks for those who have served. Thanks for those who today are choosing to get involved. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.